Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. jump right in the word this morning so I'm glad you're here last week uh, I brought a message that uh, probably only once or twice before have I uh, spent much time on this subject but uh, I am going to uh, jump on piggyback on last week uh, titled last week's message come Jesus come today it's titled Jesus is coming soon Pastor Hector just looked at my notes and said, I can't wait to hear what that's about, because uh, underneath it, Jim Gilbert and I were speaking before service, and he told me of a title he had seen one time with this second part to it, and uh, it simply said, Jesus is coming, plant a tree. (laughs) Jesus is coming soon, plant a tree. That almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? But it's not. If you were here last week, you know what I preached. Because there is the balance of absolutely believing that Jesus is coming soon and the balance of it ain't none of your business, so go be busy about the Father's business. Acts chapter 1, be busy about doing what the Father has called us to do until he comes. Because until he comes, he's just coming soon. And until he comes, then we are called as believers to be busy about the Father's business. And as we are, then our life really walks in the balance of what Jesus has called us to walk in. So uh, if you would like, you can turn to Revelation chapter 22. I'm going to read quite a few verses here. Last week I read just the last couple of verses of this chapter, and I will read it actually twice today in two different versions. But Revelations chapter 22, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12 out of the ESV version of the Bible, the English Standard Version, for all of you English-speaking version people. ESV, English-speaking version people. I just renamed it. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege of declaring your word today. Thank you, Father, that we believe in our heart as believers that you are coming soon, Jesus. And soon is a term, uh, Father, that we have to learn to walk in the balance of. And so today, I just ask for your fresh anointing to be upon this word as I read it. Revelation, inspiration, understanding, Father, uh, a challenge to us as believers that we will, with great hope and expectation, look for the coming of Jesus Christ in our lifetime, and yet, at the same time, walk in the fullness of what you have called us to live our lives doing, and that is to accomplish your purpose and plan in this earth, through our lives, through our families, through our children, through our church. And so today, Father, once again, I just thank you that to those who have an ear to hear, They will hear today, for those today that are sitting in this place or watching online that do not yet have a personal uh, relationship with you, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray that today they will come to that place where they know that they know that they know in their heart, Father, that Jesus came, died on the cross 
so that they could be saved and become right with you, Father, so that they could have eternal hope and an eternal salvation, Lord, that would take them not just through this world, but through eternity. And so I thank you for your word. I declare it blessed today in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said a big amen. amen. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12 says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. Now, I'll pause there for just a second because when I first started reading this last Monday, I thought I was going to deliver a message uh, really that had to do with the, the recompense that Jesus is coming with and the repaying uh, of what we have done with our lives. And so that might be part three next week because I got to get through what I want to say today. But there is a time, look up here, when you will stand before God Almighty and give an account for your life. As believers, we ought not to be afraid of that time. As apathetic believers, we should fear that time. Because we did not get saved just so that we could have a seat where our butt sits on every Sunday where we check off, I paid my due this week. Because sitting in a chair or a pew is not what Jesus died for. This place where we sit is just a preparation for the week, we're called to come in to be built up, edified, equipped for what? For the work in which we have been called to live out. Every single one of us, everybody that's saved, everybody that's filled with the Holy Spirit has been called to accomplish something with their life. Can more than four of you say amen to that? Amen. We've been called to do something with our life. I'm reading the book again uh, about Brother Andrew and the original book. If you have not read the book, God Smuggler, every person in this room should read that and your children should read that. And then there's a second book that came out that's a lot like the first one with a little more detail of what all Brother Andrew went through in his lifetime in smuggling Bibles, first of all, uh, into the former Soviet Union, uh, those countries that were uh, back in the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s where it was against the law to take a Bible in. And so his story begins with his own life his childhood, his parents, um, how he grew up in, uh, as a young Dutchman, and uh, he lived a hellacious life. I mean, he went in the military and became one of the worst of the worst, killed without thinking, and lived a life that he absolutely believed that he could never be saved from. And then he got shot. <laughs> Something happens when a person's laying on what they might consider their deathbed. All of a sudden, your atheism goes out the window. 
All of a sudden, when there ain't nobody, none of your friends are around anymore for you to talk smack to or for them to talk smack to you, and all of a sudden, that room gets quiet. And, and you're laying there thinking about the reality that today could be your last day on this earth. You could take your last breath. When I was in Bible college, my second Bible college that I went to, Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, um, I almost died in a hospital uh, in Springfield from something that I had no clue what was going on. I was in the library with my friends and a girlfriend, sorry about that, honey, uh, but uh, the, the daughter of uh, the president of the Assemblies of God Missions Department, uh, he was a bigwig, and uh, his daughter uh, was in my Bible college. Her mother actually taught in the Bible college, and, and uh, in, in the midst of studying in the library, something began to happen in my body that I had no clue what it was. All of a sudden, I just had to go to the bathroom, and I went to the bathroom like seven times in 15 minutes, and then I collapsed and woke up in an ambulance going to a hospital where eventually they ran all these tests on me, did a spinal tap. Um, it, it was incredibly painful, and 12 hours later, they sent me home. The doctor said, can't find anything wrong with you, sent me home. And the next morning, my roommate uh, found me passed out again so once again I'm in an ambulance going back to the hospital where I spent five days and uh, lost all my feeling from my waist down and things were going on and I was all by myself and all of a sudden as I'm laying there in the bed in the middle of the night a nurse comes running into my room and goes what's wrong what's wrong and I was like what do you mean what's wrong your mother just called us and said that you called to tell her that you were dying and you wanted to say goodbye to her. I didn't remember any of that. Didn't know I did it. And she, she said, son, I, I don't think you're going to die. <laughs> that was good news. <laughs> I mean, that was good news. And so the doctor came in the next day. They ran all kinds of tests. And in the middle of the next night, I found myself having a conversation with God. Conviction flooded my heart, flooded my soul. And it was in that moment, 19 years of age, second Bible college, that I said, God, I'm tired of being stupid. And if you'll let me live, and get me out of this hospital. I will serve your purposes. Whatever you call me to do, I'll do. Well, I'd been saved since I was eight. Been stupid since I was nine. <laughs> See, just because you get saved doesn't mean you don't stop being stupid. Until you get some Holy Spirit in you. And the Word in you. And deliverance. Anything else y'all want to help me? <laughs> I know y'all are speaking out of your own experiences. Don't be casting stones at me. Don't be looking at me with those religious eyes like you had never done nothing wrong since you got saved. <laughs> but I said, Lord, if you'll get me out of here. And the next day, my mom shows up in the hospital. My mom. 
And my mom, what are you doing here? She said, I came to drive home with you and make sure you don't die. <laughs> I said, well, that's nice of you, mom. And I remember I've been going from home since I'm 14 years old. I hadn't lived with my mom and dad. They, I don't know at that point if they were divorced again or not. I can't remember. It happened so many times. But, but my mom was there, and I'll never forget, we went, she somehow got my car, we went back to the campus, I packed up my belongings, it was May, and we began to drive home from Springfield, Missouri to Winter Haven, Florida. And on the way home, right after getting my second speeding ticket in Joplin, Missouri, I was, I was really in a hurry to get home. Mr. Missouri State Trooper said, son, why are you in such a hurry? I said, I, said, I don't know. <laughs> Just give me the ticket and let me go. Got my ticket, headed home, and on the way home, I said to my mom, now, again, remember, I got saved at 8, felt the call of God to preach when I was 8, got filled with the Holy Spirit at 18, had no word in me. I'm in my second Bible college trying to find God. It's like that song, trying to find love in all the wrong places. I was trying to find God in too many different Bible colleges. And Holy Spirit spoke. And as soon as I heard him speak, I turned to my mom and I said, Mom, I believe Holy Spirit just told me that my four years of Bible college will not be traditional. But Holy Spirit just told me to go home and join the United States Air Force. My mom says, well, what's everybody going to think? And at that point, it didn't matter to me what everybody was going to think. Because I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I just heard Holy Spirit. And I went home. The day after I got home, I went and found an Air Force recruiting office. I joined the Air Force. And began to walk out in obedience, the word of the Lord. And it became my Bible college. I, I was trained so that I could train fighter pilots how to save their life if their aircraft went down. I thought, that's really ironic. <laughs> because some of y'all's plane was going down. <laughs> when Holy Spirit spoke a word to you. And you repented and got things right with God. And I began to realize that my whole preparation, my whole four years in the Air Force was preparation for what God had called me to do with all of my life, which was to preach the gospel. But lying in that hospital, all of a sudden, all alone, foolishness, I was ready to get rid of it. Repentance unto salvation how, how many of y'all repented but it wasn't unto salvation yeah nobody wants to raise their hand a lot of us have repented at times for sin in our life but but we weren't really ready to get it right with god we just wanted to make sure we weren't going to go to hell am i talking to somebody this morning and brother andrew as i reading his story for the second time his his whole salvation as a from a little boy was running 
He ran from God, he ran from the enemy, he ran from the Nazis, he ran from his parents, he ran from the school principal, he ran from church, he ran. And he goes in the army and ultimately in this killer squad that he was in, they were ambushed and as they were running in retreat out of the woods, all of a sudden he goes down and realizes he's been shot. Right through his boot, into his ankle, shattered. And he wondered if he would ever run again. He actually wondered if he would ever walk again. It's a remarkable story of lying in that hospital bed and that Catholic nuns bringing and loving on him. And, and, and then even his, his mates in the military ends up bringing him to his hospital room. The Bible his mother had given him that he had not opened once since he had joined the military. And he didn't open it when he got it. He wondered why in the world they brought this. He laid it on the table. And all the nuns kept coming in to check on him and to help him, and they all thought that he was reading his Bible because it was laying there on the shelf. But it was through that experience that he surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and became a, a, an amazing man of God, gave his life to getting Bibles in, I think, over 66 countries, and ended up going into the Muslim world, into Iran. And his life found traction he was eventually healed, eventually came to America. He was 43 years old, and his friend was flying him from one place to another from Colorado. They took off in the plane, engine stalled, plane crashed, and he had to kick the door open and roll out of the plane as the pilot was yelling, we have a full tank of gas, get out, get out, get out, and they're both injured, his back is injured, and he rolls out of the plane, away from the plane. Ultimately, the ambulance gets there. They get him picked up. And after years of horrible back pain, he suffers through this terrible plane crash. And God heals him so supernaturally that even the back pain from all the years of driving across these third world countries with this little Volkswagen full of Bibles shaking and gyrating and, and suffering from uh, a broken down vehicle, driving over broken down roads. He has this plane crash. God supernaturally heals him so much that in his late 40s, he all of a sudden starts running again. See, see when God saves you and God heals you, he can do 100%. Amen? Amen. He can do it 100%. Because he has a plan for you, as Jamie taught us that song we sang Wednesday night and then again this morning. God has a plan for every single person in this room. i got to get back to my scripture. I read one verse. Y'all got to stop. Verse 13. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the what? And the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. 
Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. What book? The book of Revelation. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So, how we live now, how we live now matters. How we live now matters. Too many people in the church are satisfied with just going to church. Going to church is not enough. Going to church is not an end in and of itself. It's vitally important to be here in the house of God. Matter of fact, Paul said, challenge and encourage, don't be like those who find it easier to stay away than to come. Because it's important that we come together so that we can be built up, edified, equipped for the work of the ministry so that we not only come to get something, hear me, but we come to give something. Every person in this room has something to give once you have been saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered with the presence of God. So coming to the house of God is vitally important. Why? Because you're going to have relationships in this room with some folks in this room that no one else might have. Matter of fact, oftentimes when I'm with some of the brothers and I'll ask, or when I'm with my pastors, I'll ask, hey, does anybody know who so-and-so is? They're sitting over there on the left side, fourth row from the back. They're there all the time. I haven't had a chance to meet them yet. Anybody know who those people are? Anybody know who that guy is? You know, to some of the wives, some of the ladies, some of the leaders, I say, does anybody know who that young lady is? Anybody know who that woman is who told me she's been coming here for two years and I just met her? She's not coming for two years just to sit in a seat because we're that good. Because hear me, we're not that good. We're not that good. We're good when we give of our lives to one another. Young people in this place need other young people in this place. They don't need them to distract them. They don't need them to be speaking evil things in their life. They need other young men and young women that love Jesus passionately with all of their heart that are challenging their friends. This last Wednesday night during our night of worship and prayer, communion, we had a wonderful, sweet time. If you weren't here, we sorry you missed it, but we, we had a wonderful time, shared the table of the Lord together, took, partook of the, of, of the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus Christ and, and the juice that represents his blood, and we paused and we pondered and we thought and we searched our own hearts and we made sure that we were right with God and we were right with each other. 
Because the Word says some real serious stuff about how we come even to the table of the Lord. But then in the midst of it, right as we began worship, Holy Spirit began to prompt me. And I was like, Lord, it's, we don't have this plan. We don't have this schedule. We, you know, Lord, the, the time's getting. And, 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 but Holy Spirit wouldn't let, me, let it go. And those of you that are here know what happened. I stood up and I said, I want all the young people in the house. And from one side of this building to the other, two or three deep, the young people stood across this. And it was so interesting because as they came, I was standing up here, and I thought they would come and look at me. But as they came up, they all turned to look at their parents or their family. I don't know why they did it, but they, they came and everybody was looking that way. So I had to go out there, turn around to look them in the face. And then I thought, this is, this is exactly how it should be. So all of us parents and grandparents and, and uh, older people in the house that love God and love our young people and pray of our young people, we stretched our hands over the youth of our house and we prayed over them and we're prophesying the word over them and speaking the word over them. Why? Because the decisions they're going to make, the way they're living right here and right now will determine five years from now, ten years from now, will they be in prison? Will they be the father of an unwanted child? Will they be somebody that's gone through ten different schools and five different jobs and don't know what they're doing? Or will they be young people that are living out the purposes and plans of God in their life because they spent time in his presence to seek his face, and to know that God has a plan for their life. Hear me, some of you young parents, you don't want your kids to go through what you went through. They don't have to either. They don't have to. We can cover them. We can pray for them. We can have conversation with them. We can talk to them, look them in the eye. Got to, you got to find out, do they really know Jesus to be Lord of their life? And if they do, then they can, they can forgo all the foolishness of the world and all their ungodly friends out there that are saying one thing, living some crazy way. They don't have to go down that path. They can live their life believing Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon, and I don't want to be left behind see we try here at this house to never preach hellfire and damnation and try to scare the hell out of people because it doesn't last you want to introduce them to the love of Jesus that God has a purpose for their life. God has a plan for their life. God has something he wants to do and accomplish in them. And if they will pursue him. And listen, I know for some of our young people, it's hard. They've been in church since the day they got born. Hopefully born again. <laughs> Hopefully they got born again. Hopefully they've surrendered their life. They've been watered, baptized. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. But God has a plan for them. The enemy wants to lie to them, deceive them, and tell them, well, this is, this is their parents' religion. It's got to become personal. To every young person in this place, scattered throughout this building, it's got to become personal. 
That, that's why when I was eight and ran to an altar and gave my heart to Jesus and then felt the call of ministry in my life and then unfortunately wasn't discipled, wasn't trained, wasn't taught up in the Word of God. I just knew that God was real, heaven was real, hell is real. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I want to do what God's called me to do, but I don't know how to do it. So from 8 to 19, 18 and 19, I go to two different Bible colleges sincerely looking to know God in a deeper way. In my first Bible college, it was no different than high school. It was girls in basketball, in Bible college, until one day when a certain beautiful young lady walked down the sidewalk past the room I was standing in and I asked my friend who is that he said oh her name is Suzanne Mike but you ain't got a chance (laughs) 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 son you ain't got a chance She's she's one of my best friends. We sing in a group together. She's a senior. You're a punky freshman. You got a girlfriend. What you need another one for? See, the minute I saw her, I forgot I had a girlfriend. (laughs) She was a pretty girl, too. She was a pretty blonde cheerleader. Exactly what, in my flesh, I expected was what I was supposed to do and to be. And then I had the privilege, the opportunity to to go with Billy's singing group, which Suzanne was a part of. And I met them down in Miami. And we were staying at Billy's fiance's home. And and it was about 11 o'clock at night, and I was in my little room wherever I was, and I couldn't go to sleep, so I got up and I quietly went out into the, into the living room of this house. And there was one little light on, and in that room sat Suzanne in her PJs and her robe and up on the couch with her Bible open. And she's reading the Word, and I stick my head out and said, hey, what you doing? It's a good line, right? Hey, what you doing? Except she was reading the Bible. And so I went out and sat down, and we began to talk. And I'll never forget, because it impacted my life. As I sat there and began to talk with her, she asked me two questions. What are you reading in the Word of God, and what is Holy Spirit saying to you? And I said, what and who? (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) That's not what my girlfriends usually ask. (laughs) What are you reading And what is Holy Spirit saying to you? It deeply impacted my life. We drove back to Lakeland, back to college. She graduates, moves back home to New Orleans, starts teaching in a school for two and a half years. She's not answering my letters. (laughs) She's not answering my phone calls. Her mama is mad at me. Finally says, Suzanne, you got to tell that George Brantley boy, stop calling here. (laughs) Well, if she'd have just told me that she didn't live there anymore, I'd stop calling. 
But she didn't. She just said, well, she's not here. So the, the phone calls kept getting later and later, 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. Hey, Miss Mikay, is Suzanne there? No, she's not here. Bam. <laughs> but two and a half years, I'm in the Air Force now. I'm hungering for God. I'm in his word. And now I'm seeking to hear his voice for two and a half years. I write Suzanne birthday card, Valentine's Day card, wish you'd be my wife card, (laughs) Christmas card. I mean, I was sending some cards. Two and a half years, no response. You'd think if I was a smart man, (laughs) I would have just left it and moved on. But see, God had a plan. And so I served Pastor Ball in our church in Panama City. I worked in children's ministry, worked in youth ministry, sang in the choir. (laughs) Sang, I sang in the choir. And one day, my phone rang. My phone rang. <laughs> and it was this little voice said, I'm looking for George Brantley. And I was, Hallelujah! Yeah, She said, Oh, did I interrupt something? Oh, now I'm just having a little prayer meeting. <laughs> Y'all think I'm joking. I ain't joking. (laughs) You see, I had just walked from the laundromat that was connected to my apartment at Georgetown Apartments. And I was walking to my apartment. It's in the middle of the summer. Windows were up. This was way before cell phones and internet and Google and computers. I didn't even know how to spell computer. And I remember saying, Lord... I want to be married. 21 years old. I'm in the Air Force. I love you, God. I want to serve your purposes. <laughs> and I'm hoping that it has something to do with a wife. <laughs> I, I really want a wife, Lord. And, and I don't want just any wife. But I said, Lord, you've either got to get this woman, Suzanne Irene Mikay, out of my mind or you've got to give me an opportunity to find out if she's the one you have for me. Now that will be a miracle, Lord, because she won't even return my phone calls. And she won't write me a note and say, quit writing me. (laughs) I'd have taken any note at that point. And as I'm walking across the parking lot, my phone's ringing. I open the door and there's her voice. Now, of course, the end of the story is she immediately tells me she's not calling for me. She's calling looking for somebody that she hoped I might know, (laughs) which was my pastor's daughter, who she had sung in the group with at Southeastern. 
I didn't care. It was an answer to prayer to me. <laughs> I'm sorry it might be coincidental to y'all, but it wasn't to me. I mean, I hadn't taken 10 steps from saying, Lord, either take her out of my life or give me an opportunity to get to know her. I don't know how this story ended up in me talking about Jesus coming soon. She said, George, do you know Cheryl Gerles? Yes, she's my pastor's daughter. I go to the Dorigo Park Assembly of God. Pastor Nolan Ball's my pastor. That's his daughter. She's married, lives here. Well, she said, I, I, I've been feeling like Holy Spirit is prompting me to move from New Orleans to Panama City. Come on, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me pray with you about that. <laughs> let me see what I might hear the Lord say. But then she goes on to tell me that she's not looking for a relationship. She doesn't want to date. Just got out of a bad relationship. She just wants to do whatever Holy Spirit has for her. And I said, well, I think coming to Panama City is probably what the Lord has for you. <laughs> so three days later... I get a phone call. She says, I'm on my way. Tell her where I'll meet her so that I can take her over to pastor's daughter's house. And she drives into the west side of Panama City to a little restaurant. You have to be old to know this one, Sambo's. Anybody know Sambo's with those little pancakes? Wow. Sam Sambo's impacted my life that day because... I'm 40 minutes on the other side of Panama City at the Air Force Base in my uniform. I asked my first sergeant, can I leave early? Got a really important mission I need to accomplish. And uh, he said, of course. And so I drive across town and I pull into that parking lot and she's sitting up on the hood of her car. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I went to talking in tongues, giving Jesus thanks and praise. Long story short, she needed three things. She needed a place to live, a better car, and a job. And I immediately, full of faith, man of God that I was, I said, well, that's no problem with God. And so the first night she's there, she's sitting with her friend Cheryl and her husband. And Cheryl's sister Donna calls Cheryl and says, hey, just want to ask you to pray with me. It's time for me to move out of mom and dad's house. I need a roommate. Cheryl walks in and just off the cuff says, oh, that's my sister Donna. She's looking for a roommate. So the next day when I go to see Suzanne, she says, oh, guess what? Cheryl's sister Donna needs a roommate. And I said, bingo, <laughs> check mark, that's one. And then I said, on Sunday, I'm going to introduce you to Miss Helen, right? Was it Helen? Principal? a long time ago I said the, the assistant principal at Tyndall Air Force Base Elementary School where I happen to be stationed goes to our church so on Sunday I introduce her the lady falls in love with her immediately says tomorrow you got to come out let me introduce you to the principal of the school 
So you kind of know where this story is going, right? Huh? The principal falls in love with her, says, look, I'd hire you right now, but because of certain circumstances, I can't, but you're going to be first on my list. And then the third thing was the vehicle situation, and, uh, and then God, with his sense of humor, the day that she arrives in Panama City, my major calls me into his office and he says, you know all those classes we signed you up for? Jump school and water survival school and desert survival school and land survival school and Arctic survival school. He says, well, a week from Monday, you're flying out. I'm like, that ain't even funny. <laughs> I reject all those. I don't want to go to any of that. <laughs> he said, you're flying out. Jump, jump school will be your first one. It lasts three weeks. So in the meantime, she goes home to New Orleans, asked me to pray with her. I said, yes, sure, I will. I didn't because I already knew the answer. She was coming. She goes home. Within a few days, she calls me and says, well, I'm moving. She, the only thing she has is a place to live. She had hooked up with Donna, and so a few days later, she drives into Panama City, pulling a U-Haul with her little old jalopy car with the stick shift on the dash. Y'all know those first, second, yeah. reverse, first, second, third gear. I would no more let my wife drive a car like that, pull in a U-Haul today. But, but she did it. And she pulled in. I met her at Sambo's again. Gave her my brand spanking new 1978 white Monte Carlo. <laughs> Burgundy interior, which I could not afford because I was stupid back then. Couldn't afford the car payment, couldn't afford the insurance, but I had it. And so I gave her my car, I took hers, I drove her U-Haul over, I backed it in, I unloaded it. And then I said, I'm going to take the U-Haul and turn it in for you, then I'm going to swing by my apartment, take a shower, come back, pick you up, and we'll go get something to eat. She sits me down on the couch. I just need to remind you, I am not here for you. I don't want to date. We're not going to date. I'm here. I'm seeking God. Said, oh, that sounds good to me. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I said, but you're hungry and I'm hungry and we'll go Dutch. You can even pay for your own meal, which she didn't, but I told her she could. She didn't mind me paying for it. And then the following Monday, I got on a plane and left for three weeks. Only problem was, first day of jump school, I landed on somebody else, messed up my ankle, so I had to wait two more weeks before I could finish my five jumps at jump school, and then immediately went from there to my next TDY assignment. And so instead of being gone for three weeks, home for two, gone for a week, home for a week, I ended up being gone for like about seven weeks. But it was during that time when God began to stir in her heart, we, we weren't even together. But when I came home after all those weeks later, I was fit. I was looking pretty good. I had my uniform. It was starch, man. I had my brim on. I had my little blue scarf on. I had my shiny boots. I was ready to go. And she picked me up at the airport. It was pouring down rain. I'll never forget it. I looked out the door. This was back when you could actually still go into, you know, an airport and wait for the people that were flying in. And 
She was standing, she was sitting there grading papers. It was a Friday afternoon. And I walked out of that door of that plane. And she told me this a couple months later. She said, it was in that moment when you walked out of that plane. And I looked at you when I knew that I loved you. And you were probably going to be my husband. Come on, somebody. God has a plan. God has a plan. Sometimes we don't understand it. Amen. And they are good thoughts. And sometimes our walking out, the coming soon, is a, is a character-building word. Because, see, if I had my way, I would have married this woman the day after I met her. I mean, I just felt like I was born to be married. We had made a covenant. We made a decision. What my parents went through, what some of her siblings went through, we were never going to go through. Divorce would not exist in our marriage. Murder, maybe, but not divorce. <laughs> so we made a covenant. And 44 years later, we're still walking out that covenant. Because God has a plan. And once you settle in your heart, then that plan can be fulfilled. See, how we live now matters. What we believe now affects how we live. That's why the house of God's so important. That's why small groups are so important. Connect groups are so important. Bible study groups are so important. Prayer groups are so important. It's why you should never walk with God alone because you were not created to walk alone. Brothers need brothers. Sisters need sisters. Older people need younger people to speak into their life. Younger people need older people speaking into their life. We need one another. We have to gather because it's in that that we begin to really settle who we are, what we believe, and how we're going to live out our life. Amen. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. But until he gets here, we got to be faithful with the Father's business. The Amplified Version, Revelation 22, verse 20 and 21 says this, He who testifies and affirms these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Be with all the saints, all believers, those set apart for God. So Jesus is coming. That means our days are numbered. Hear me. That means your days are numbered. The good news is, for those of us walking with the Lord, those of us that have surrendered our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have to be afraid of the end. We don't have to be. We shouldn't be. Believers should not be afraid of death. It's just a door into the presence of the Father. I believe in my heart. I believe Paul believed it in his heart. I believe Peter believed it in his heart. I believe James and John believed it. But I believe Jesus coming in my lifetime. But what if he doesn't? I'm going to keep living like he is. I'm going to keep doing the Father's business as though today might be the very last day I ever walk on this earth. See, if you live your life with the purpose of saying, God, not my will, but your will be done, then whatever it is the Lord wants you to do, you're going to step out in faith and begin to do it. Walk in it. Why? Because he's got something he wants to accomplish through your life. The clock is ticking. 
And the good news is as believers, we can be excited when we talk about the coming of the Lord. He is coming. Jesus is coming again. A second time. First time Jesus came, came as a babe, born in a manger. Needed mom, needed dad, needed to be raised, needed, needed to eat, needed to have his diaper clean, needed to learn how to walk, needed to do all these things as a little tiny baby. But Jesus is coming again the second time, is coming as a roaring lion. Powerful and mighty for his church, for the bride. That's the Jesus we're waiting for. That's the Jesus we're looking for. And he's coming. So the question is, he's coming. Is he coming for you? Are you walking with that confidence that you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, what's keeping you from doing that? What lie has the enemy told you to make you think that you can do it all on your own because you can't. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his bride, his church, his people, his children. And there's two kinds of people sitting in this room this morning. Those of us that have surrendered, we're, 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 not, we're not perfect in Christ, but we serve a perfect Christ. We've surrendered our lives completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's those that have yet to respond to that knocking on your heart's door. And if that's you this morning, I want to challenge you. Or, or, or maybe you're, you're that person that when you were young, you walked with the Lord, but over the last years, you just found yourself in the religious rut of just going with no expression, no emotion, no passion, no purpose, no fire. You're just existing. And your kids know it. That's not how the Lord wants you to live. He has made a way for us to live out his purposes, his plans with passion with fire, with purpose. What is it that he wants you to accomplish? I pray today that there will be a stirring in you that says, like I did in that hospital room, Lord, if you'll just let me live. But I got to the point where I didn't want to just live. When I'm reading this book about Brother Andrew again, I, Suzanne and I both, she read it before I did the second time, and she said, honey, you got to read this again. It's so stirring. It's so convicting. And as I began to read, once again, convicted, loved the passion, loved that this church was a part of a million Bibles being hand-delivered to our brothers and sisters in Cuba. But that's not enough. I don't want that just to be a great memory I had. Lord, what's next? What's next for us? What's next for you? What's next for me? What's next for us as a church? Got to be more than just going to church on Sunday. Got to be more than that. Lord, what is it you want us to accomplish? I want to be a part of it. If you're going to heal my body, I want to be healed for a reason. I don't want to just, you know, make it a few more years. Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to serve? What can I do with my life that has spiritual value, Amen. eternal value? Yes. Where else can I 
place a Bible or support a missionary. Wednesday night, we prayed for some friends that left yesterday. And Kim Hui, one of ours, is leaving this Wednesday, going to Cambodia. I've never had a heart for Cambodia. I don't even know where Cambodia is. But this couple, they happen to own um, cilantro taco, which makes a phenomenal taco and burrito, by the way, and salad. And they're closed on Sunday. But this couple, I read their story. And I got so moved, so touched. What they went through as children, six years of age, both of them watched one of their parents murdered because of their faith. Read their story of how they came to America and eventually met, married, and and now after years of walking through healing, the Lord puts it in their heart to go back to their birth country, plant a church, raise up an orphanage, support others that were just like them 30, 40, 50 years ago. And in the middle of it, he's, it's he, right, that's battling cancer? She? And she's battling cancer. And yet here she gets on a plane yesterday for 25 hours. And I prayed for them yesterday. I, I convicted my whole heart, Lord, where next? I don't want to just get well to do nothing. I want to get well to accomplish your will. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you this morning for the word stirring in us to believe that you're coming soon. But until you do, we will plant a tree, we will get married, we will procreate and fill the earth with righteous children. We will continue to be busy about your business. We will do what you've called us to do. And for every person in this room that's saved, every young person, every youth, I pray today, Father, stir in each of their lives for something greater than just existing, just going to church on Sunday. Stir in all of us your purpose and plan for our life. And Father, for anyone sitting in this room or watching online that has yet to surrender their lives to you, they don't know the joy, the peace, the happiness, the passion, the purpose of living life as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that we could be forgiven, cleansed, healed, delivered and given a reason to live. I pray for them this morning. And I pray that even right now, you would stir within their heart to say, Pastor, today I want to get right with God. I declare this, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. If you're sitting in this room, you're watching online this morning, if you watch online, you can call, text, Email us, let us know you made a decision. But if you're sitting in this room this morning and Jesus is knocking at your heart's door and you're ready to surrender to him today, I would love the privilege to be allowed to lead you in a prayer that will change your life forever. Simple, eternal prayer. So, with every head up and 
eyes are looking around because you can't sneak into heaven. You either say without shame, I'm ready to make things right. I want to serve God. I want my life to count. If that's you, and now that you think everybody in the room is looking at you, they're not. But I want to invite you. Lift up your hand. Let me recognize it. And let me lead you in a prayer. If that's you today in this room, do it right now. Don't wait. Just do it if that's you. It's a big decision. When it happened in my life, I got up and ran to an altar, convicted of sin. Anybody? Don't worry, this is not about me. Not about being a successful pastor. It's about a life being changed forever. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make in your lifetime. The decision that says, Lord Jesus, be Lord of my life. And then you follow him in water baptism, get filled with the Holy Spirit, commit your life to serving his purposes. Live a life that matters. So Father, I thank you for the stirring of the word. And I pray for anyone in this room that you are knocking on their heart's door. Father, it's a big decision. It's a tough decision. Decision that requires counting the cost. So I pray for anyone today that's at that place in their life. Stir within them. Help them to come, whether it's privately in their own home, by their bed, in their car, walking down the road, taking a shower. Father, show your great love. Help them to make a decision that ultimately one day they can do it publicly. But I pray this week, not only in this house, but all across our country, Lord, our country needs a touch of God. Our country needs revival. Our country needs a word that's going to impact and change lives. So I give you thanks for the work of the cross, the power of the blood. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.